Hey guys, I hope you're doing great today and I can't wait to bring you the show. But before I do, I just wanna make a quick request. If you're listening to the show and you're getting good value and you're enjoying the content and you feel that it's valuable, if you could just take a second and go and give me a rating and review in whatever platform you listen, whether it be Apple or Google or uh, Spotify, whatever it is, just go and give me a rating and review, that would be very appreciated. All right guys, let's dive in. You know, athletes in the military, I find a lot, just having been on other podcasts and met a ton of people like that mentality of like, learn it, yeah. implement it, then maybe you go teach it or, or some version of that. Right. Yeah. Like those are two obvious places yep. where you can practice that in a very repetitive way. And that just becomes part of your life. Totally. And, and again, it can be learned by anybody. Sure. It's just, yeah. you get more repetitions earlier on in that, in that kind of environment. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on the show today. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate your time. Listen, we all have tons of choices and you choose to be here and I think it's awesome. I do not take that for granted. So thank you for being here. I hope that I can deliver the goods to you today so that you come back again and again. Uh, today I have on a great guest, actually a really cool guy uh, who's doing something a little different than some folks that I have interviewed in the past. He's doing it a different way and uh, I'm excited to bring that to you. But before we do, uh, if you have not rated this show, if you've not given me a review, but you listen to it, you like it, you enjoy it, I'm doing something for you. I'm helping you move the needle on your business. I would really appreciate it if you give me a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast. It helps so much. It really is currency for podcasters. So if you can do that, go give me a rating and review. I would really appreciate it. It would go a long way to helping me grow the show and reach more people. Okay, guys, today on the show, we have Hans Strazina. He is uh, the, on the number one team for luxury real estate in the San Francisco area. He's personally closed over $1 million in volume in the last four years. He's a former member of the Olympic rowing team, which is really cool. We talked about that and the impact of sports and how that affects business. And he's also been featured on Fox, ABC, NBC, CBS. He is doing some big stuff, and he's in that luxury market where... I think a lot of real estate investors and uh, even realtors sort of shy away from because it's a little intimidating and the buyer pool is smaller, right? And we talked about that. I challenged some of those uh, limiting beliefs that I think kind of surround the luxury um, real estate market. And he had some great answers. So hopefully you're gonna, guys are going to really enjoy this. I suggest that you take notes. He, he dropped some good stuff on us here, some some gold bombs and some, some points that he uh, used when he was growing his business. And he's a super young guy still. He's like crushing it. And uh, he's going to do some big stuff in the future too. I am absolutely certain of that. So guys, uh, I give you Hans. All right, Hans. Thanks for being here. I appreciate you being on. I appreciate you being on the show, and uh, yeah, thanks for agreeing to do this, man. Yeah, Mike. Appreciate you having me. This is awesome. Uh, always an honor to be asked, and uh, definitely excited to try and bring some value to your audience. Very cool. I can't wait, and I think you will do that. So, uh, before we do that, we we do this every episode, and and I know some people are like, "Why do you do this every time?" Because I want people to connect with the people that are on the show, and and people might not be familiar. So, if you don't mind, give us a quick uh, rundown of your background, where you come from, just so we can get to know you a little better and, and kind of have a better understanding of where you're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. I'm originally from the Pacific Northwest. So I grew up in Seattle, well, just on the east side of Lake Washington. 
Uh, and I went to the University of Washington. And so I spent my first 23 years in the Pacific Northwest. And um, most people who would Google me will find that I'm in real estate currently, but my former life was as an athlete. And so I found the sport of rowing. Um, it's a very popular sport in the Seattle area. Hmm. And I, I took it from a sophomore in high school all the way ultimately to the Olympic team um, via the University of Washington. And then I moved to California to train with a, with a high performance team here in the Bay Area. And long story short, made my way to Rio and competed and placed fourth in the men's eight. Wow. And um, yeah, that was a hell of an experience, a ton of fun, uh, very challenging and hard and emotional and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but that was my, my first career, if you will, definitely unpaid. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then about um, basically right when I was done rowing, I knew I was going to take a year off got into real estate. I was listening to bigger pockets like crazy between practices for three years before that. So I always knew real estate was going to be something I was in, in some capacity. Um, long story short, got my license, joined a team, left that team, joined another team, which is the group I'm on right now, got into the luxury space. And then, um, on the, is simultaneously investing in real estate and help, you know, to some capacity, helping other people do do that for themselves um, through my course that I'm putting out, as well as just some of the content I put out. Uh, and then I obviously talk to my friends and family about it as well. So sure. got hopefully a lot to, to add to your audience and hopefully someone will get some value out of this. Great. I, I do want to dig in a little bit just for a second. Um, I'm always fascinated and this is like going to be maybe a little bit of a turn off to people who were not in sports, but I want to get your opinion and maybe it's a little bit of a loaded question because you are an athlete. What, how important or what role or how does it manifest itself later in life? People who are in a sport, who compete in sports as a younger person when they go off and, and, and start their careers. Do you see a difference in those folks? Yeah, I was actually just, I had having breakfast um, with someone I'm, I'm in go abundance now and some of your audience may have heard of this and I was having breakfast this morning with a guy who lives just a couple of miles from me, who's also in the group. And we were actually talking about that because he's into Olympic weightlifting currently. And okay. he's talking about like the physics of the bar and how your body moves around the bar to make it move efficiently. So you can move more weight. And we were just talking about sort of the real application of physics in that case and, and how that was the same in rowing. Cause it's basically a fulcrum. You're, you got the, oar, mm -hmm. you've got the boat, it's a fulcrum, right? Yep. And and then we kind of zoomed out and we're talking about how like, obviously there's the physical aspect of like how to make the boat go faster or lift more weight or kick the thing farther or whatever. But there's obviously then the teamwork, the dedication, you got to put effort into it. You got to be intentional. You got to take coaching. You got to, um, you know, if it's a team sport, you know, know your position, know how it affects the other positions and work together to, to, to win the game or to, yeah score the most points or whatever. Right. Yep. So it's not to say that you can't learn that elsewhere and you can't perfect that elsewhere, but it's a great place to start that, especially because it's pretty accessible to almost every youth in America that you can kind of go out and try a sport, even just with your friends in the park. Um, you know, yep. I, my principles in my real estate team, uh, were not athletes, uh, in the formal sense, but one was a ballet dancer for over 10 years professionally. And the other was uh, a Broadway actor and they 
we we go really deep on like the performance side of both of that and then obviously what i did as an as an olympic athlete and there's so many parallels in that just as much but it's but it's all about like the teamwork the soft skills as well as the actual physical skills of yeah um showing up to practice or rehearsals or whatever and i think all of that has tremendous value in business and definitely in real estate as well totally and i do think that and maybe this is just because i was not an olympic athlete i do think that the athletics even if it's only at a high school level i think it makes a difference i see a difference in people who were athletes as kids or as teens and then how they conduct themselves later in life not it's not 100 percent. and to your point you don't have to have been in athletics to be successful in real estate i'm not suggesting that yeah but what i'm saying is that that going to like you know for me i played baseball football and ran track you could take Mm -hmm. any one of those but let's just use track because it's not used a lot going out there and like having a coach blow a whistle and knowing you're going to run until you feel like you're going to throw up like and going through that and willingly going into that environment every day to make yourself better. I just think there's something to that dedication. And you hit the nail on the head. Probably the single biggest thing is not the physical side of it, in my opinion. Probably the single biggest benefit of having been in sports as a, at some point is your ability to take coaching and understand that coaching is necessary to get you better. Too many people think that they're going to blow their business up and they're just going to be like huge and have this business that they always wanted with zero help and nobody in their Mm -hmm. corner. And it can happen, but it's so much the harder road. Like it's so Mm -hmm. much easier, faster, better to to get coaching from somebody. And I think you agree with that. I know you have a course because you believe in that. Uh, You've been coached on different levels, (laughs) you know, sports and and, and, and in life. And it's just, it's so incredible that when you have that background and you, you, you accept the fact that you need coaching and that you're ready to be coached, that's, that's so important, man. It's just huge. And I think that's probably why athletes tend to have a little bit of a leg up maybe, or a a little bit of a head start sometimes when it comes to this, because they're, they're a sponge, they're willing to learn. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's, you know, athletes in the military, I find a lot, just having been on other podcasts and met a ton of people like that mentality of like, learn it, implement it, then maybe you go teach it or, or some version of that. Right. Like those are two obvious places where you can practice that in a very repetitive way. And that just becomes part of your life. Totally. And, and again, it can be learned by anybody. It's just, you get more repetitions earlier on in that, in that kind of environment. And as a result, it, it plays out in your life in a, in a variety of ways as I'm sure we could go down that rabbit hole, but I, yeah. I think that the coachability thing is huge taking huge. direction and, 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 but also being somewhat critical of like, okay, that, that person is doing it in a very specific way, or they, they have a result. Do I want that? Do I actually want what they have? Because yeah. if you get into a football team and you want to win state or you want to win championships or whatever, like that's a pretty easy, obvious goal. Like we just want to win the game. But like when you get out into the real world, it's like we're on a podcast right now. There's so many other podcasts you could get onto everybody's let, you know, see what they're doing and like, oh, that's so cool. And you could get shiny object syndrome. Yep. And so I think when you're picking a coach or you're taking advice, you have to be really because advice is <laughs> prevalent out in our world right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you have to be very careful of whose advice you take and and why you're taking it almost more importantly. Cause you, cause you could, this is something that I struggled with, frankly, is like, I was really good at taking advice and implementing it, 
But then I was just taking all this different advice and I was kind of getting all over the place, the shiny object syndrome. Yeah. And eventually, hopefully you find some success and then you start to have to ask yourself, okay, do I actually want this? Is yeah. this like next deal or this next thing a little bit better or is it tons better? Um, and, and figure out who you're actually following and taking advice from and then what you're implementing and then what it's going to get you. Yeah. And you, you brought up a great point early when you started answering and speaking about the military. I have seen so many military people excel in, 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 you know, as an entrepreneur or real estate investor, whatever you're right. It's just that, that ability to like listen and implement and like everyone has it and people have the ability to learn it. I'm not saying that. I just think it's, in, it's an interesting subject and it's interesting way of looking at athletics, right? Uh, because a lot mm -hmm. of people think, oh, I was like, I played whatever football in high school and I wasn't good enough to go into college. And so there's the benefit is gone. Like there's no benefit. There is, there's a lot of benefit to having been in that. So I'm also, I guess, saying this for the, for the benefit of maybe folks out there who have kids that they're trying to decide, like they don't have to play football for sure. It's dangerous and all that, but some sort of a sport where they have to work their butt off. They have to listen to coaching. They may not want to hear at, at in certain days and, and help teammates around them be better. Like that's just such a great team environment you know you're built you build right. teams i'm building teams in my business like that's just a huge thing so anyways that's not what this podcast is about but i i just i love when i when i talk to athletes especially who've been to the next level and get their feedback i like hearing hearing uh, your feedback on that so you moved in you tried different stuff you, you mentioned shiny object syndrome which i think a lot of us have in the beginning how did you settle on or why are you focused on luxury market why that because here's why I'm going to ask. I'm going to preface this. I'm going to throw like, you know, this isn't a hardball question, but it's so I guess it would be the objection that I think people might be thinking and what I would think if someone suggested I get into the luxury market. I typically tell people when they're deciding what sector of the market to get into, I usually recommend that people get into the sector of the market that has the highest volume of buyers, which is typically your mid-range market, right? Like beginner right. or uh, entry level, like new new home buyer, downsizing market, like that median house price market. Why luxury market? Why does that appeal to you? So to tell that story, I have to give you the context of where I started, which is in short sales okay. and and foreclosures. I was cold calling two hours a day uh, anyone who had a notice of default in like the couple of counties immediately around me and uh, the one I was in. And I ended up doing nine deals my first year. Um, and they were hard. And I actually had 11, uh, in escrow two, or two more in escrow that got foreclosed on while they were in escrow. Cause people okay. weren't paying their notes for five years or more. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. But I was hustling, 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 killing myself for this amount of work. And, and I learned a lot and I'm glad I did it. But then I recognized eventually that like, I wasn't being valued to the level that I could, meaning like people didn't care that I was in the Olympics and didn't care what I could bring to the table. They cared a hundred percent about not getting foreclosed on. And, yeah. and sometimes <laughs> they didn't even care th about that. So it was <laughs> yeah, like just yeah. beating my head into a wall. So I recognized like, okay, the amount of work is actually probably less because if you're not dealing with a first and a second lender, you've got a lot less moving parts in a higher end deal. Obviously the price points are much higher. And so the paydays are, are bigger. Um, but most importantly, like the value you can bring to the table, if you really start to nail it for people, like 
they value it and they're not going to try and chop money off your commission or, or, you know, second guess you all the time if you're really bringing a high level of expertise. And obviously that takes some time to develop, but, but ultimately it was that. And, you know, as the market goes more autonomous, well, obviously this is going to release afterwards, but Zillow is offloading all of their iBuyer stuff and <laughs> 60, whatever percent of those houses are underwater. Yep. So that model clearly didn't work. Not yep. to say that it something won't work in the future, but, but that was a model that was attacking that like middle tier and that low tier price points, as far as I could tell. And so I was thinking, well, if technology is going to try and, and take that, that middle and that lower side, I need to go where the technology isn't. And it's such yeah. a relationship based and a trust based uh, transaction and an engagement with someone when you're representing them on a one, two, three, four million dollar purchase or sale, mm-hmm. that it's going to be really, really, really hard to outsource that to AI. Like, if a consumer who's selling a hundred thousand dollar house who has twenty thousand dollars of equity and there can save a thousand bucks, that's a huge percentage relative to what they're willing to gain, and they might just outsource that to the lowest bidder, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're talking about someone who, you know, can save you or make you another three to 5% on a huge, you know, on a multi-million dollar deal, it's like 50 grand, you know, that becomes pretty serious to somebody and it, and, and it's harder to stomach just like maybe throwing that away to a, you know, the lowest bidder, if you will. So I realized it's a high touch, um, high, you know, high value transaction and that ultimately was a place that I wanted to go. I wanted to build these relationships, build these skill sets, build a reputation that um, I was someone who could get it done and do it at an incredibly high level. And, and I ended up joining a team that specialized in that, really cut my teeth through some you know starter transactions, eventually got into some of the higher level transactions, and now I'm uh, just taking on uh, a lot higher price points as a result, and they're stressful and they're challenging, but um, incredibly rewarding. And and frankly, I just feel good about the value that I bring because, uh, and knowing that it's a relationship that I've built, not just a transaction. So I think that in my rambling, just in the last couple of minutes, that's really what it comes down to: is yeah. um, feeling good about ha- you know the relationship you built with the other person. Yeah, that makes total sense. So in your in your workshop, first of all. Let me ask two questions. This is sort of like I'm I'm digressing a bit, but how long have you been in real estate? Five years, five years. or just okay. over five years. Okay. And in your workshop, are you speaking primarily to to realtors, people who are who are mm-hmm. like okay? So if someone wants in your workshop, and I'm not obviously this is uh how many is this like seven weeks two months? It's how a long? seven yeah it's a seven week uh, seven weeks okay seven week deal yeah. So I don't think we're running the risk in the next you know. 10, 15 minutes of blowing everything you talk about in there. However, I'd like to hit some of the highlights. What can people expect to learn if they if they join this this um, this workshop? How do they what what are some of the key components or, or key uh, things that you're you're trying to get across in those seven weeks? Yeah, so it's there's a there's a couple of things. It's just like the practical stuff of like how do I identify this market? Because a lot of people will say you have to know people to get into a luxury market. I moved to California knowing basically nobody in 2013, and by the time I was retired from rowing in 
20, late 2016, I knew a fair amount of people and I wasn't even in real estate. Yeah. And then I got into this short sale stuff and that was about two years of just that. And so really what I've learned is in the last three years, roughly, I have grown this incredible network and this incredible group of people um, and, and started to carve this niche out for myself. So ultimately it's like, what is the luxury look like in your marketplace? Who are those people? And how can you serve them? Like, what's your brand? What's your value proposition? And how do you how do you mold that in a way that it speaks to that client and speaks to that person who's seeking that representation and that clarity in the market? So, um, certainly, it's like, okay, how how like what does that market look like? How many agents control it? Um, what percentage of the of the market is onesie twosie? people versus like a very dominant agent or team. And then where, where do you fit in, in that potentially? And then based on you, your experience, the, the person that you are, how do you mold that? How do you turn that into something that, um, is, is attractive to the people that are in the marketplace looking for that? Like most of my clients are basically my age. They're or a little older than me. You know, they're all millennials or gen X, I guess, is the, whatever the one before a little older than me is. And yeah. they all have, they're professionals. They have two incomes almost always. They often have kids or want to start a family. Um, and they've been renting for longer than most people. So they have, yeah. a, most of them have money. They have, yeah. you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars saved up, ready to go. And they have good credit and so forth. You know, it's like, I have this profile, yep. but they're professionals. They're, they've made a couple of, um, they've made a couple of career moves or they've gotten some promotions. And so I present myself as like, I'm the guy who knows the luxury space. I can help you get into this without the brain damage that you think that it takes. Cause a lot of people think in my market, at least you have to write 10 offers and get killed. Yeah. Like my average client writes 2.9 offers. And, and so I tell them like, I have a process that if you if you go the extra mile with me and educate yourself and let me guide you, uh, I will spare you a lot of the insanity. That's and awesome. admittedly, that's an average. So yeah. sometimes people well, write I, like a lot. You know what I like about it? It shows that you have metrics that you track, you know? And I think yeah. that's such a universal thing when you're in business and you want to be successful in anything. You have metrics, you track what they are, you know you can speak to it to your client. Um, kind of a, this is maybe more of a fun question, but I'm just curious what what are the things what are the biggest things that you find in the luxury market that people are concerned about that maybe doesn't exist or isn't as prevalent in like a mid-range house price level is there is there, is there like a reoccurring thing i know kitchens and bathrooms are huge obviously but right like is there anything else that they are concerned about when you talk about luxury market that we might not be aware of yeah most of the time it's well a, by definition, a luxury home is is a is a it's not a need; it's a want, right? And so you've got people. Depends on your market, of course, but you've you've generally got people who don't you don't need two, three, four thousand square feet and an extra couple of bedrooms and bathrooms <laughs> on a better block. Yeah, but you want it, right? Yeah. It makes you feel good, and so there's an emotional side of this that mm. you have to tap into, and the hard thing is to tap into how that makes you feel and then turn that into a, a number, a dollar amount. Yeah. Right. And so going through the mental gymnastics to get there um, and figure out, okay, if I'm going to spend $2 million, what does $2 million buy me that, 
you know, I could otherwise buy for 800,000, right? You can buy shelter, you can buy four walls and a roof for any amount of money in any given market, but why spend $2 million or whatever it is. Right. And then, and then feel really good about that purchase. Cause that's a lot of freaking money, man. Like people want to, you know, like how are they going to justify this in their head? And, and so it's, it's that. And then also generally speaking, um, at least with my clientele, it's, it's family. It's a, people want to have their kids grow up in a great place in a great school district on a safe block on a place that they can go play or meet the community, meet the neighbors, whatever it is. Right. And, and so when you, when you start to tap into those things, it's like, it's not just basic shelter. It's like, it, it, it hits on all of these other things and, you know, the memory they had when they were growing up of Christmas and coming down the stairs and they yeah. want to provide that for their kids or whatever it, you right. know, it, it's always a little bit different, but those things generally speaking are, are what you're contending with in the luxury space versus just like, I need a place to live. End of story. Yep. So, all right. I'm, I'm going to try to tease something out of you here to see if I, if there's anything, but what is the most, it, oh, let me rephrase this. Has there been any deal that fell through for a ridiculous reason, like something that the buyer or the seller said, nope, that would, that would be unusual <laughs> because I, I just bought a house and I'm not like saying, you know, luxury market, I guess it, it was for my area, but the stuff that was important to us, I, I think maybe somebody might have, would have thought that's insane. Why, why do you care? Mm-hmm. What, what is, what's a reason something fell through that you were like, are oh, you got to be kidding me? Um, well, I, luckily it didn't fall through, but we, so I had a, had a client who literally was going to move across the street. Um, <laughs> and they had a 2000 square foot house. They wanted a bigger house and they wanted to stay on this block. And so the likelihood that a bigger house with a bigger lot coming up in their son's lifetime was like maybe one or two. And so they're like, screw it. If we're going to do it, let's do it now. Plus they happen to love the house. So that helped. We wrote an offer $3.6 million cash. This was the highest price sale in the history at the time. It just got exceeded, but highest price at the time in, in our town, in our city. Okay. And they wrote it all cash, you know, 10 day close. Um, three days into the marketing period of, you know, it was a fantastic outcome for this house. Mm-hmm. We get a call back from the agent on the other side. Who's like, um, you're going to get a counter from me. It's not on price. It's on some exclusions. Okay. And so we got it and they wanted to exclude the curtains in the front living room. They wanted to exclude, uh, what was it? Um, some pot, some planters in the back and something else. I can't remember what the thing was, maybe a chandelier or something. I don't, it was yeah. a chandelier. Okay. And my clients went ballistic. <laughs> they also know these people personally because they live across the street for the yeah. five years. And they're like, we just wrote you this, this offer. Like, are you kidding me? We are out of here. And I was like, okay, I get it. But can we just come back together and take it down a notch? Here and so yeah. we ended up coming together. And so they turns out the curtains were custom made twenty five thousand dollar curtains that she just loved, um, and that she wanted to take them to the new place. And so we countered back with like, okay, you can have your curtains, but we want the kitchen table. And it was this custom five thousand dollar perfect for the bench seat that they had put in the kitchen. Okay. And they said, okay, fine. So we ended <laughs> up 
<laughs> we ended up negotiating over furniture and it came together and we closed it luckily, but it was like over curtains. We were about to lose $3.6 million. That's like insane. Crazy stuff. That's too funny, man. It's too funny. You know what too? The funny thing is if the curtains had been excluded in the original, like, agreement but like to have something like that come up at the last minute i the house that i bought um the agreement was there was a theater room and the agreement was (laughs) they leave all the theater equipment and my realtor didn't know anything about theater rooms she had never had one or dealt with one before so she's like anything she said the screen and the projector must stay and and so when we Mm -hmm. got here the screen the projector were there but that's not the speakers. That's not the, the right. AC, you know, remote. Like, like there's so many, th- the guts basically were gone. It's like, I got a shell of a car. They took the engine right. and all the seats out of it. And it's like, this isn't the theater room. This is a screen or a projector, but that's not what, a, you know, she's like, oh, I didn't know. So uh, it's just crazy, you know, just stuff that people yep. will take. It's like, why did they even take, because they left the speakers on the wall, but they took the speakers that were on the, on the, on the floor. It's like, you took half of a of a speaker system it doesn't make any yeah. sense but it's I, crazy man just the stuff that people will I, i've seen people walk out of houses that i had flipped for like the color of the paint was not a, the right shade of gray or something it's just crazy are you, are you kidding me i'll repaint the house like what are you even talking about right yeah now? but it's it's wild what how emotions and money get totally. involved when you when you kind of cross-section that and that is like that's my job like that's yeah. i manage those that that intersection of emotions and money and um, not only like what the money buys, but then the stuff that you're describing, like someone gets really upset that um, there's a ding- there's there's screw holes in the wall because they had really heavy art. Right. And those holes are bigger than standard nail holes. Right. Yep. And now we're like freaking out and going back and forth on like, who's going to patch this? It's technically not in the contract, but you told us you would deliver it in a whatever condition. Right. And so yeah. we're. Totally, hundred percent. But you know what? Every transaction happened. that goes by, you you get better, smarter. You can you can head things off at the past. You know, if you walk into a house that has god awful huge art, there's going to be that, and so you don't have that. Doesn't have to be a surprise to the next client, right? You can have right. that conversation up front. So you just get better as you go. I, I hear you exactly. though, man. I, I tell you what, I, the luxury market for exactly what you you said, um, it, you're just dealing with a different client and and different and different things, but AI can't replace that human interaction that I would imagine folks who are buying luxury houses, they don't want it to be automated. They want to be able to pick up the phone and say, Hans, I've got a situation, or I got a question, or I got a concern, and they want you to be able to answer that, and that makes them feel good. And that's right. that's very difficult. I won't say impossible, because who knows what's going to happen a thousand years from now, but that's a very difficult thing to replace, is that human... Yeah customer service aspect of of luxury real estate when people call me or text me regularly and like hey do you have a painter do you have a handy person you do have a this or that and it's like yeah i do here you go um and you know it's it's about expectations versus reality essentially like you're just managing that expectation level um and that's something relative to the course it's like building a business behind that, like a service based business behind that, Mm -hmm. what you just described is kind of what I'm trying to teach in the course, because I think that that is, that is not the way to like build a business in 30 days, like with all the Instagram and YouTube ads of like, people are making seven figures in real estate in 120 days. It's like, I know they're not. Yeah. I just, that's total garbage. Um, and so, 
it's not sexy. It doesn't sound good on an Instagram ad, but like if you can build the base, the foundation of your offering, articulate it, and then deliver upon it, like that is how you build longevity in a, in a, in a marketplace and you build a relationship. Same thing. If you're a flipper, same thing, if you're investing, like if you are the kind of investor who uh, comes into an agent, to a property manager and says, this is what I want. This is how I want it to be done. This is the kind of property I'm looking for. And they bring it to you and then you close and you do what you say you're going to do. Like you get that, you get more, you get more opportunities, sure. right? Like yep. same thing as an agent. That's, I mean, the skills are transferable. It's just a yeah. different widget. Yeah. And in real estate, if you do the right thing by people and you make promises and then you meet or exceed them, a funny thing happens. They know people who want to do what they just did. And luxury home buyers and sellers have friends who are luxury home owners who want to buy and sell. So yep. it's a, it's kind of that snowball effect. And that's why it doesn't happen overnight because it takes relationships. Yeah. It takes performance. It takes the word to get out. So I love it though, man. I, I like the I like the the concept of hey, this is gonna be tough for Zillow to take over and just dominate on an automated sort of like impersonal basis. It's just there's a certain there's a certain part of the market that just won't tolerate it. And I think that you're, you're in it. So listen, man, I, I would I want people to check out your course. It's a luxury market workshop dot com. Go and check that out. Uh, also, uh, there's a, he has, you have a YouTube channel, I know, yep. and we're going to put all that in the show notes uh, so they can they can find that. Hans, man, is there anything else, by the way, before we go, anything else you want to say or anything else you want to put out there for the audience? No, I mean, I, the only thing I would leave you with is, is this is, you know, if when you're getting into real estate, there's a lot of people who fly in and out of this career, um, this industry, frankly, whether it's flipping houses, wholesaling, or being an agent, like it's, it's easy to get into and out of. Um, but you should ask yourself, like, what do you actually want out of this? Like, are you trying to build a career or just make a buck? Cause yep. those are completely different things. Yep. And if you get clear on what you're actually trying to do and, and then identify a couple of people who can help you get there or you can model off of, um, you will tee yourself up for success because nothing in this industry is complicated or rocket science, but it's all about consistency and execution. And if you can nail those things and, and be a sponge and learn, you will have tremendous success in the long run. Totally. I love it. Great place to leave it, man. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your expertise. Guys, go check out the uh, workshop, luxurymarketworkshop.com. Hans, man, all the success in the world to you. I wish you nothing but the best and uh, hopefully we'll catch up in the future. Mike, appreciate you. Thank you. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I enjoyed talking to Hans. Uh, he's a good guy, smart, very, very smart guy too. And uh, you know, at the risk of sounding super old, he's a really young guy. He's doing. He's just crushing it. He knows what he wants, and he's going after it. I think that uh, that rowing background, that athletic background, that team background, I do think it helps. I mean, I don't. I don't think it means you can't be successful. I think we made that pretty clear. If you haven't been in sports, it doesn't mean you can't do it. But I think that that background. It helps. It just helps. And so, I, you know, talking to a guy who had such, you know, at Olympic level had that background, really, really fun. And that competitiveness comes through and it shows up in the work and it shows up in the success. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. It was a fun one for me. Uh, but in the meantime, get out there and get going. Like, get started. Don't, don't wait, you know, for the next interview to inspire you. Don't wait for someone to drop another gold bomb before, before you get out there. Just go. Go out there and start start doing it like it, it could be messy and you're going to make mistakes 100 you're going to make mistakes we all do but 
you won't achieve anything if you don't try, if you don't get out there and go for it. So get out there and go for it now. Don't wait for tomorrow. Do it now. All right, we'll talk to you next time.